Hello, welcome to True Crime Broads. This is Crystal. And Renee, how's everybody? Can you hear me? Yeah, how are you doing tonight? Okay, good. I'm doing good. Awesome. Okay, good. Through the um, quarantine of, you know, not working every day, which is very strange. So I don't know what you do for entertainment, but I think I've done everything. I've cleaned, I've cooked, I've baked, I've done it all. Gosh, I'm (laughs) eating like a cat thing. So I'm really some serious fallout from this quarantine. It's going to be me not clothes. Oh my right? gosh. Remember how like a couple remember a couple hours ago I sent you that message and I said I was motivated to lose weight and I was reading all that stuff? Yeah. Well, that lasted about 45 minutes because after that I got Taco Bueno and then I had ice cream. <laughs> so <laughs> this is not going well, people. But um I was, the, the Taco Bueno was delicious, by the way, and I'm happy they're still open. And then um the ice cream that I got at the store, I was thinking I was getting it for Mike. But y'all, I don't know if anyone's ever tried this, but it is made by Briars or Dryers. I get those confused. That's really weird that there's two ice cream companies that are that similar. Yeah. It's one or the other. I think it's Briars, and um, it's half. Um, you know how they'll have like two flavors in a container. It's half <laughs> Oreo, um, like cookies and cream but actual Oreo brand. And then the other side is Chips Ahoy. I think I showed you a picture of it last time we got it. Oh my word. It's, it's, I mean, I'm going to, I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to end up having my own TV show, like my 600 pound life or whatever, if I don't watch it. So yeah, eating is getting out of control and the boredom, even my kids who don't have a weight problem at all. Like my 12 year old came down and I said, Oh, did you get enough to eat? He goes, yeah. He goes, now I'm just eating. Cause I'm bored. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, things are tough all over. But I don't know. You know what's so crazy about the ice cream store you're telling me is that um, I don't buy, believe it or not, I don't buy ice cream often. But I went to the store one day. This has been about a couple weeks ago, and I got the new. um, It's Bluebell, but it's um, Cookie Dough Extreme or Cookie Dough Explosion or Cookie Dough Something. And for whatever reason, I thought it was going to be like chocolate chip cookie dough. I don't know why. I should have paid more attention to the name of it because it's clearly more than one type of cookie dough. Anyway, did not like it. It had peanut butter and it had uh, snickerdoodle or something. You could taste it in there. <laughs> did not like it, which I guess that would be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't, I hate that I love this ice cream because I'm usually pretty good about sweets, but this ice cream, I'm like out of control. So I'm not gonna be able to buy it anymore. My husband's out of control with it too. So it's probably just better to keep the contraband out of the house. Right, right. That's crazy. All right. So we are um, finally doing our um, extra um, murder cases that we're going to be talking about because we said we would do one about once a month and we're actually going to do two. And the reason is because um, one of them is already solved. It's just um, interesting because it, it happened in Midlothian and um, the, well, actually, Actually, they're both solved. <laughs> well, I say solved. That's not true. One of them's not solved, but it's closed. The case is closed. So anyway, um, the first one we're going to talk about is a case about Sandra and John Garner from Maypearl, Texas. Which, for our listeners, is also in Ellis County. 
So this was there's very very not far from where this um, murder took place that we talk about all the time, Missy's. Right. So um, I'm sorry. I thought I had the information on here so that I could tell you what what the date was on it. I think it was uh, January the second of 2018. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. So Sandra and John Garner, they live in Maple, Texas. Um, Sandra calls 911, and I believe this is about 2 a.m. in the morning. Um, she calls and tells the police that an intruder came in and killed her husband. A masked gunman came in and, and uh, shot her husband. And he basically told her that he was a disgruntled employee from a while back I don't know how far back and that he wasn't going to kill her and that he would like her to go and remove money out of the safe so she says she removed approximately $18,000 and he told her to count to a thousand and as long as you don't you know as long as you count to a thousand then um everything's fine but if you don't then I'm going to come back and kill you which I don't even know that that makes much sense. But anyway, um, so he left. She called 911. The police came out. And they, from my understanding, they checked her for gunshot residue. They asked her to walk them through everything that happened. And she did. Told them how, you know, where the gunman came in at. Which, there was no sign of forced entry. Um, they... Um, she went, she walked him through everything. They took pictures of her hands. And from my understanding, um, the police, um, actually showed video to the, um, uh, grand jury of the, they had the, what am I trying to say? The, the cameras. Oh, the body cams. Yes. Thank you. You know how it is. Anytime I want to say a certain word, I can't ever think of it. It's just the way it is. But anyway, well, you and I always know what our word is supposed to be. I know. I've just learned to deal with it over the years, but it's like, you know, if, if I was playing that game uh, and see, I can't think of the name of it. Is it family feud? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, would play that game, I would never be able to win anything. Cause I would be like, you know, that thing, that deal that. <laughs> or do you, or you, or I would have to go, Oh, she means this. <laughs> Yes, yes. And you would have to do that for me. <laughs> yeah, you would have to do it for me too. <laughs> yeah, crazy. But anyway, so they have body camera um, video of when they entered her home and, you know, went over everything. Um, but anyway, she, you know, told them what happened and she had no idea what happened. They tried to save her husband and he, he died. So on March 28th of 2018, she was indicted for murder. Um, by the way, he was shot three times in his bed at their home and she was completely unharmed. So she was indicted for murder. Um, basically what happened at, right after that, I don't know how, how long it was after that happened, but they went back to her house to, um, cause they was wanting to get some evidence you know we're looking for the gun they were like we got to find the gun that was used in this in this um in this homicide so they went back and they had looked in her car they had looked you know everywhere they couldn't find anything they did end up finding um information on her laptop where she someone had searched um how to kill someone in their sleep 
um, how to kill someone and get away with it. And then um, how to make cappuccino or something like that. Something weird. Yeah, yeah. It, they're those ones about murder, those searches were sandwiched between really innocuous searches, like what you said, like how to make cappuccino or whatever. It's very it's strange. Really strange. Yeah. yeah. And then, so they go back over there and um, she she tells them, no, you're not, you're not getting in the car. And, and the family's like, well, we don't understand. Apparently she had family that lived across the street. And they're like, well, we don't understand if you're like, you're innocent. What do you have to worry about? So finally, she's just like, whatever. So she lets him go over there and get in the car. Apparently, her son had told them, I'm certain my mother killed him, and you're going to find the gun in the car. Well, the first time they went, they were there. The very first time when this very first happened, there was nothing there. They go back, and there's a gun wrapped up in a paper towel, stuck in a plastic bag, and there it is. So... Now they they're like okay well now we have a case so they you know indict her for murder she you know they go to court the problem is is that the gun wasn't there to begin with the son tells them you know look at her computer look at her car her Ford Mustang you're gonna find a gun they find a 38 Taurus handgun like we said wrapped in a paper towel inside two plastic bags and a Ford Mustang at the time at the scene and the gun belonged to her. Um, it did. The analysis did reveal that the weapon was used to kill him. But the problem is, is that the son told them, you know, that she did it. And then she said, well, I think my son did it. And they couldn't beyond a reasonable doubt convict her. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about this before, but when this case first came out and it was in the news, you and I didn't even bother to follow it. We were like, that's an open and shut case. It just looks like this woman shot her husband. Bam, she's guilty. We didn't even take another look at it. But come to find out, it was a very complicated tale. And I watched that 48-hour show the other night. We haven't, uh, mm-hmm. Renee and I haven't had time to do research as in um, pull the records yet because we didn't know we were going to cover this on the podcast until um, very recently. But we haven't had a chance to pull the records yet, but I'm very interested to see what went on in that trial because, I mean, apparently the son sort of implied that he thought his mom might be involved. And then, like you said, when he was the one that directed them to the gun in the car, which wasn't in the car, when they searched the house the day of the murder, that gun was not in the car. But when they went back three days later to search again, because um, I think it was the chief of police of Maple. He was the one that said we were determined to find that weapon. So they went back three days later and he said what was different this time was when they went to go search her Mustang, her car, it was locked in the uh, detached garage. So they went across the street to her husband's family that they're all real close, even though it's not um, Sandra's blood relatives. They were very, very close. They all hung out all the time. And she was over there waiting while they searched the house again. And she just like blew up when they said, what, her son's actually the one to deliver the news and said, hey, listen, the police need to get into your car and it's locked. I need your keys. She just like freaked out. And so her relatives, um, his relatives actually were going, what's the big deal? Like, why won't she just give them the keys? It, it made, it started right. to make her look, you know, suspicious. So right. anyway. So she finally, when she went over there and she was protesting, she would not let the police, um, I'm not sure if they went to the families across the street and got her or if she came across the street with her son, but 
whatever happened, the police told her, we're going to get in this car one way or the other. And of course, she realized that means they're going to smash the windows or something. So then she finally acquiesced and gave the keys to them. And they did a search and they had thoroughly searched that car before, uh, right after the murder. But this time they found a gun under the seat wrapped in wet towel, wet washcloths. And it was in a Ziploc or something like that, or in a bag of some sort. And it had absolutely no fingerprints on it, no DNA. So someone had obviously cleaned it up really good. So yeah, like you were just saying, I agree with you. I think that was what the defense was able to paint some um, reasonable doubt and just say, because see her son, which was from a previous relationship, by the way, it's not the husband that got shot son, not his biological son. It was his stepson. So her son uh, that we're talking about, he um, had been hanging out with the husband that got killed the night before. And he told police he was over there till about seven o'clock hanging out with him. So it's just really weird. But the message, the Google things were really late at night. And they were saying, oh, anyone who knows Sandra and her husband knows they go to bed at 930 every night. These searches were at midnight, one o'clock in the morning. So they were just trying to say that it was her son that had done all this stuff. But you know what's kind of right. what what's really interesting about it though is I haven't heard a peep about them prosecuting the son. Have you? I have not. Um, I actually found an article um, that covers a lot. I mean, a lot of information on this case, and I I sent it to you in Messenger. I saw. It. Um, I we can we can post it on Facebook and and wherever else for people to see, but it goes through a lot of it. It actually has the video of <clears throat> the body cam video and stuff. And it talks a lot about the son and things that he said. It said his name is Wes Miller. Um, they go through a lot of different stuff. Like um, right here, it says Wes Miller says she does have a revolver, but I thought it was in her Mustang. And she said, never put it in her Mustang. And if she did, it would be underneath the seat. And he said underneath the seat. And Wes Miller says, yes. And that's exactly where so, it was. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, but that, it has a lot of information. I haven't heard anything about him, you know, being indicted for it, but um, anyway, it, it goes through a lot and tells a lot about, you know, more in depth about him talking about, you know, where his mom keeps her gun and about the computer and all that stuff, which is just super interesting. Yeah. So. And, and I don't know, my, my impression after watching it was, I think they used him for reasonable doubt, but I still don't feel like they, that the prosecution really thinks it's him. I think the prosecution's totally convinced it was her and it yeah, was Sandra. I yeah. And I feel like the defense was able to sort of, you know, make the jury have reasonable doubt by pointing him out. But I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, we didn't hear all the evidence, of course, but I mean, my goodness, she's, she just said and did a lot of things that were suspicious, you know? Um, yeah. And that whole story about, um, okay, so she said the perpetrator came in and shot, they're both in bed. So the perpetrator shoots her husband several times. She's, right. she's laying there totally physically unscathed. And then the perpetrator leaves. And then I don't know how this happened because she made it sound like they were talking maybe in a different location. Or maybe they were talking from her being in bed, but it sounded like they were standing around chatting. And she was saying that he and he and was explaining how he 
was an ex-employee of her husband's from a long, long, long time ago, and he had fired him, and he was disgruntled, and it ruined his marriage. He lost his wife and kids because he had been fired by her husband. And I'm just thinking, why? Okay, number one, why is he shooting them like 20 years later? Um, I mean, that sounds like something you should be upset about at the time, right? Right. And then the other thing, I'm wondering, why would the perpetrator hang around and talk? That that just doesn't happen. I mean, you would think he would, if he wanted to shoot him, he would run out the door. The fact that he stood around, according to her, the fact that he stood around and chit-chatted about his feelings, that sounds really made up to me. No, it really does. And I, I, they believe they, they believe you. They agree with you, obviously, on here because I'm reading it. I'm going to read it to you. It says, this is kind of like the uh, transcript of the whole thing, pretty much. Um, but I'll, I'll just read the part about where she's telling the story. Let's see. Okay, so it says... Um, she knew, she said she knew she had to stay calm to be able to tell them everything that happened. And he said, did you wake up any before the incident happened? And she said, no. And she said, cause I felt like if I had just let my emotions go, that I would lose it. And I couldn't lose it. I guess she's talking about while well, she's talking to them. And then she said, I woke up and I heard gunshot. I had heard gunshots. And he said, you heard a gunshot. And she said, I heard two gunshots. And then somehow I ended up in the floor beside the bed. And she says she saw a man holding a flashlight and a gun. And she says, I started screaming, you know, hoping somebody would hear me. And he said, shut up. I said, and she said, please don't kill me. He says, what I came here to do is done. I didn't come here to shoot you. See that? And weird. the guy says, you were having this conversation with a guy who had just shot your husband. She says, well, I said that. And he said it back to me. Yes. She says he seemed to know both her and her son, her and her and John, who he blamed for destroying his life years earlier. She said, I worked my ass off. And then the guy said this, I worked my ass off. And then he fired me. He said, I lost my house. I lost my wife. I lost my kids. He apparently didn't come to just to kill John. He also wanted money. So the officer says, your husband had always talked about how he keeps money in the house and I need that money. I think I earned that money. She went into the closet and she got the lockbox. That closet has a light that comes on when the door opens. And Sandra says that's how she got a glimpse of the killer. He had a mask on and all I could see was his eyes. Was he tall? Was he short? He was taller than me. Do you recognize the voice? No. She handed him a pile of cash. Exactly how much remains a mystery. I think it was 18000 That's how much was in there the last time I counted it. $18,000? Yes. Sandra says when he left, the killer gave her instructions that were frightening and a little peculiar. He told her to sit down, count to 100. If he heard sirens, he was going to come back and kill her. So I counted to 100 as fast as I could. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's how fast you counted to a hundred. Yes, yes. Then she made a call to nine one one. So that's the story. yeah, yeah, and 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 that's straight out of that forty eight hours show I watched the other night. And Mike watched it yeah. with me, and and he said what's kind of what's kind of brilliant about the eighteen thousand dollar claim that got supposedly mm -hmm. stolen is now you can file a insurance claim on that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and, and who knows if that cash even existed? I kind of doubt it even did. 
because we don't even think, I mean, you know, a lot of people don't think there was even an intruder. So where did the 18,000 go? There probably wasn't even any in there. Um, that's just probably yeah, a part yeah, of her yeah, story. That was part of the defense. Part of the defense, sorry about that. Part of the defense on this though, was that why would I want to kill him? You know, we had a comfortable, we were happy. We had, you know, financially we were set. We had a nice house. That was part of her, her defense. Well, so, and, and another part, another part of her defense was, um, she had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and he is her caregiver. So they, the defense was saying, why would she murder her caregiver that she relies on? Right. So yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. None of this case really makes a whole lot of sense, except they did go into, and of course I don't want to get into any character assassinations on the victim at all, but I'm just saying that they explained in that show that he had a tendency to drink quite a bit. And he also took antidepressants. And I can tell you from experience, not mine, but someone else I know, if you take uh, antidepressants and you drink a lot, it can sometimes make you act really crazy. So it's possible that they had had just a big blowout fight. And, and something else they pointed out in that 48-hour special is that they had 49 guns in that house. And you get a couple of people who are kind of emotional and perhaps they've had a couple drinks. I'm just inferring that. I have no idea if either one of them were drinking that Did night. Did you say 49, 49 yes. guns? 49 <laughs> guns in that house. And I'm just saying that if things are getting emotional, if you got a couple of people that are feeling a little unstable, it's a lot easier for things to turn violent when you've got access to 49 guns versus people flipping out without any weapons around. So, I don't know. Um, so... Yeah. So that's the, yeah, they had a ton of guns and one of them, one of the 49 was, um, actually, this is really sad, but the gun that the husband got shot and killed with was actually a gun that he had given to her. So out of the 49 guns, she only technically owned one of them. The rest of them were her husband's collection. He had shotguns, he had handguns, he had rifles, he had everything. So, um, yeah, it's pretty wild. So that's a really wild story, but I think what was really interesting too, and I can kind of tie it back into the Missy Beavers case is the Midlothian, um, chief of police said in that interview I watched, he said that they took one look at that murder scene and they knew they needed to call in for help. And so they called the the Ellis County Sheriff's department to help them, um, secure the crime scene and, and do the. Um, initial analysis and that's exactly what happened in the Missy Beavers case MPD said we are not equipped to do the um, CSI so we're going to mm-hmm. have um, Ellis County come and assist us so that was very similar and I also noticed that when they were interrogating um, Sandra and the son I think I think at least Sandra's I can't remember right now but they did have um, an officer, um, one of the Texas Rangers was present and was assisting. So um, I thought that was interesting. I don't know the extent that the Texas Rangers worked on this case, but they did have one of them present while they were talking to her and helping ask questions and, you know, kind of trying to figure out her story. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that was a really wild case. And um, it's just interesting to think that she got found not guilty. Who would have thought that at the beginning when she was arrested? It just didn't look like it would come out that way at all. So it's pretty interesting. It's funny right here. It, it talks about the 49 pistols and, and, and the guy says, I'm sorry, how many? <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I said. When you said it. I was like, what? Did you say 49? <laughs> same thing. Same said reaction you had. Well, I huh? thought it was funny. I thought it was funny in the uh, 48 hour show 
the narrator mm-hmm. goes, they had 49 guns, which was a lot, even for Texas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess we're That's known exactly for having right. a lot. Yeah, having a lot of guns. Huh? Yeah, exactly. that, that was hilarious. Yeah, you get somebody who's into guns and they do try to get every different kind they can, but... <laughs> I just don't, I, I just don't understand. I guess I'm just going to have to make peace with the fact that the defense used her son and they were, and it sounds like she and her son were kind of both throwing each other under the bus. So I guess it's possible they were in on it together. I don't know, but it seems mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It just sounds really strange. He, apparently her son suspected her. And in the interview that I watched on that 48 hour show the other night, he, and you can watch this. If anyone wants to stream this, you can get it from, um, the CBS app. But anyway, um, that's how I watched it on my phone. But yeah, the son was saying, uh, I don't know why she would do something like this. And then the investigator goes, Whoa, um, are you saying, can you tell me some more about that? He goes, Oh no, man, it's my mom, you know, come on. I can't, it's my mom. So anyway, so, but he was implying that he thought it was a very real possibility that she did this. And of course it didn't look good for her. Um, She was the last one to see him alive. And there's this masked gunman that comes in and shoots him and not her. That is so unlikely. I mean, if, if somebody comes in, you know, like in the Kaufman, you know, like in the Kaufman case, you kill both people. You don't leave a witness. Um, If you're crazy enough to go in there and shoot one person in bed, you usually don't spare the other person. Um, At least it doesn't seem like it. And, and then, yeah. he, and then for him to, and then the other part that really bothered me was for the perpetrator to stand around and chat for a while afterwards. That just doesn't happen. I, I can almost, yeah. I can almost see the get down the floor and count to a hundred that kind of, and the, or I'll kill you kind of a threat, but I can't really see him standing around talking about how his feelings were hurt and he's there to, you know, get back at him for ruining his life and blah, 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 blah. That just sounds really unlikely. And that, that, that sounds like a fabrication um, that a woman would put onto a man, like putting words in a man's mouth. Um, you know, yeah. and I know I told you this before, it reminded me of the John Bunny Ramsey case. You know, you've got um, the purpose, the, there's, you know, whoever wrote that ransom letter, it was very lengthy. And it's just kind of unlikely that a man would sit down and write a three page rambling letter especially, you know, I don't mean to take off on another case, but, you know, sitting there using Patsy Ramsey's pad and, and pen, they were able to confirm that it was found at the house. I mean, that just seems unlikely. And then, of course, there's the Melanie McGuire case where that one, I don't know if anyone remembers that. It was on court TV. It was um, the suitcase murders. And Melanie McGuire chopped her husband up into pieces, put him in suitcases and threw him into the Chesapeake Bay. Really horrible crime. Um but she wrote a letter that was supposed to be from a gangster mobster that her husband owed some kind of a gambling debt to, which that was never proven. But anyway, long story short, she wrote this long rambling letter. And I mean, it just sounded ridiculous. And it sounded like it was written by a female because I mean, that's that, you know, people try to say there's no differences between men and women. But I will say that women tend to be wordier and when they're writing mm-hmm. and when they're talking. Yeah. And, and if, if someone's going to write a ransom letter or a letter saying, you know, I've got your husband, I'm going to kill him. It's not probably not going to be a flowery, long three page thing. So anyway, that just kind of reminded me of it. Just sort of her saying that even though it wasn't in writing, she was implying, she was saying that this 
this perpetrator after a very chaotic scene, a very violent crime, and they're just going to chit chat for a while about how he feels. I, that just seems, I'm not saying mm. it didn't happen. Who knows? Her story could be 100% accurate, but I do find that to be a red flag too. Just what perpetrator hangs but, around and talks about that kind of stuff. Um, it just doesn't seem very likely. It seems more like he would be like, shut up, get down um, and get out of there. Cause the more you talk and stand around and, and apparently what she was saying was his eyes were visible. So he had on like some kind of what, like a Zorro mask or, or like a coronavirus yeah. mask. I mean, I don't understand. So <laughs> she, could to- she could totally see his eyes. So why would you stand around and make yourself identifiable by using your voice more than you need to and letting her see your eyes? Um, oh, and the other thing, you and I talked about this the other night, how in the heck, because she was later changed her story and said, I think that was probably my son. Wait a minute. How do you not know your yeah. son, especially if you stood around yeah. and talked about his feelings? And was yeah, he and yeah, was yeah. he lying to you? And he said he was an ex-employee. Or are you lying? Yeah, Someone's lying then if it was your son. And here's one of the parts where they talk about um, the chief. He said, we interviewed probably a couple of dozen people who had been terminated. We're not coming up with any suspects. Um, so that was one of the things I talked about. Um, and then let's see, was the, sec- was the crime scene secured in your view quickly enough to preserve all the evidence? Probably not. I probably should have taken her out of the house and put her in the car. I probably should have bagged her hands. I should have done some other things. That was one of the big mistakes they made. Remember, um, they made a huge mistake by not bagging her hands. Yeah. Gunshot residue was discovered on her. So that was a huge problem, too. Exactly. And said, um, she had just a little bit of gunshot residue, like, on her arm. But they just said, you know, that was the, and you know, the... Um, and that 48 hours show, um, the chief of police said that that was one of the mistakes he made. He regretted not bagging your hands because, you know, having a little bit of gunshot residue on your side or on your arm after someone right next to you got shot, that's consistent. I mean, that could mean you're totally innocent. So, yeah, mm-hmm. the, he, they regretted mm-hmm. not bagging your hands because she apparently scrubbed him if she was indeed the perpetrator. Right, exactly. And they didn't fingerprint the Mustang. That was another thing they didn't do. Um, yes, the door the handle. Door. Yes, yes. Yeah, they made a lot of mistakes in that. That's one of the unfortunate things. Um, I mean, it's fortunate that a small town doesn't have a lot of murders, obviously, um, which is what brings people to the small towns to live. But at the same time, they don't have the evidence because they don't have the murders to, you know, have experience to, to handle them. And they call in other cities, but they still have the ability and unfortunately they make mistakes like this and then people you know and, and and I don't know if she's guilty or she's innocent but I mean I do I do think that a lot of mistakes were made yeah. and I think that they you know there's not if she's guilty there's no way it's ever you know she's never gonna she's never gonna do time for the crime so yeah that's the truth I mean, that's, yeah yeah you can't the, no double jeopardy they can't she can't be tried again so and she still maintains her innocence, even though she knows she can't be tried again. And she still is saying it was her son. And, and, and that just seems really weird to me that that whole story she told about chit chatting and opening the closet door and getting a really good view of his face because of the light from the closet automatically comes on and all that stuff. How'd you not know that was your son? But yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the jury, um, obviously felt like there was, um, reasonable doubt after the defense um, presented their case and she is uh, 
back to being a regular person who's no longer on trial for homicides. So, yeah. So who knows? Um, we obviously we obviously don't know if she's guilty or innocent. But the whole thing was that was just a wild case. And like you and I were saying early on, we just didn't see that coming. It just looked really open and shut. Mm-mm. No, and and the son makes a lot of good points too about the dogs, and how did the guy get in? Yeah, there's. I mean, and they were in bed asleep. Yeah. There was no forced entry. I mean, he makes a lot of good points, um, but then it kind of makes you suspicious of him. So yeah, it's unfortunate case that didn't turn out the way they wanted it to for sure. Yeah. So we we can definitely post this um, information on our page, our Facebook and Instagram, so y'all can look at it and see the pictures. And there's a lot of pictures. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of um, the the whole 48 hours that you're talking about, they go through, they literally have the, the transcript on here, the whole thing. So it's, it's interesting to be able to go through and read it all, you know? Right. Cause when you're There's watching, a lot of when you watch those shows, it kind of, some of it gets past you. Yeah. That's right. awesome. Exactly. Yeah. That was an interesting case. And that happened in Ellis County. Um, same district attorney's office that would be prosecuting Missy's case. Um, unfortunately they did not have a good outcome on this one. And we hope and pray that when Missy's case finally does get prosecuted, that they will have a better outcome. And, you know, it's possible MPD made state mistakes early on because they're not a very, um, not, not anything against them, but they don't have a lot of homicide experience. So it's possible the mistakes that that um, chief of police from Maypearl, he was very upfront and admitted several times that he had made a lot of mistakes, um, just lack of experience, you know. I hope it helps um, in the future with more training and, you know, things like that. I hope they learn from it because that's a lot of times how, you know, improvements are made. You learn from your mistakes and next time that doesn't happen, you know? So I hope that that's what happens in this case. Yes, me too. All right. So the next case that we're going to talk about is one that um, me and Crystal both have, um, you know, it's like a small world type thing. Uh, the George William Raffield case from October 23rd, 1987. This one was a Midlothian case. You want to tell, tell about it? Oh, sure. Um, so basically, um, I actually have a connection to the shooter. Um, I went to school with him for several years um, when we were in junior high. Um, and his name is Greg Knighton. Really nice kid. His brother was nice. His parents were super. Just really mild-mannered, nice people. His mother was our PE teacher. Uh, It was a small Christian school and technically in Dallas, but it was on the edge of Duncanville. And kids came there from all over, Cedar Hill, DeSoto, um, South Dallas, Duncanville. And um, anyway, so Greg Knighton, when he became high school age, apparently his parents, I had lost touch with him by then because a lot of us did go on to public high schools. And he went to Midlothian High School. And he apparently had gotten into drugs and stuff. I was totally out of touch with him by then. And just didn't really have any concept of what he was doing until I heard the news. And I was flabbergasted. But anyway, apparently Greg and some friends had gotten into drugs. And apparently Midlothian High School at that time. This is the late 1980s, by the way. And apparently they had quite a drug problem. So Greg was only 16 years old and they had brought in George Raffield. Is that his name? Yeah. Raffield. 
I um, just want to make sure I was saying his last name right. Um, George Raffield um, was a young undercover police officer, and they put him in Midlothian High School to pose as a student. And I'm really not clear on how long he was there before people started to suspect he was um, a narcotics officer undercover. I think I read somewhere about a month. It wasn't he was it wasn't very long. It was yeah. either a month or a month or two months. It was something really short. Okay, so they started to go, you know what, something's not right about this guy's story. It's not adding up. And plus, he was 23 years old, and he was caught. Yeah. And so they just, its I don't know if it was the first day or if it took the whole month, but at some point, they just weren't buying it at all. And they figured out, they, they called him a narc. They said, they said, I don't remember what his name was that he posed with. George Moore. Oh, okay. So he, that was smart that he used the same first name. So anyway, so yeah, George, um, he, uh, so apparently they figured out he was a cop. They lured him out to, I'm sorry, go ahead. Let me me tell you this really fast. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, 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 take your time. uh, One of the things that I read that one of, one of the reasons that they kind of picked up on the fact that he was undercover. And, and again, this is probably uh, good for future, um, you know, teaching people to, be, to do under undercover, uh, police officers to do undercover. He was really smart. And typically with your, you know, kids that, you know, get into trouble and do drugs, they're not typically good students. I mean, for the yeah. most part, they get into trouble, they cause ruckus, they don't participate, they don't do work. He was making straight A's. And yeah. they made a comment about it in one of the articles that he was doing really well. And everybody was kind of looking at him like, you know, we're over here getting in trouble and, you know, all this stuff and not doing good in school. And you're over here making straight A's. Oh, and, I, and they said that, they, yeah, they, they said that they wish they would have shared that with him. That you're, you're supposed to act like you're one of them. You're going to have to kind of get in trouble and, you know, kind of not be real cooperative, you know, like a typical, you know, um, I guess teenager on drugs, but yeah. anyway, he wasn't, he was very cooperative. He was very pleasant and he did really good. So that was one of the reasons that they kind of like, Oh, this doesn't seem right. right. They, they kind of picked up on it. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that in real quick. No, no, that makes perfect sense. All I was going to say is that basically they lured him into a field. He did have a, a person with him who also ended up being prosecuted. And, um, that, young man also he that his friend was 17 greg knight and the guy that i knew was 16 he was actually the shooter apparently and greg shot and killed um this young police officer just in cold blood um and that just when when my mom told me about it i just about died i could not even believe what i was hearing greg knighton shot and killed an undercover police officer he was 16 years old at the time um yeah his dad had a long career with dallas uh pd and he was i think assistant police chief or something he was really he had some kind of a high rank and uh, there's been a lot of debate about what that was i think some of us were wrong initially and thought he was chief of police i believe he was assistant chief but whatever he was he was definitely a long time uh dpd police officer he wasn't it was you know he had a career there and it's just it's just unbelievable to think that something like this could happen to that family that we knew. I mean, all of us that went to school with Greg were just completely blown away by this story and we couldn't even believe it. And it was just even more heartbreaking to think about not only did Greg ruin his own life, 
because he got tried as an adult and he got prosecuted and sentenced like an adult would. And so his yep. life was completely down the tubes at 16. That just breaks my heart now that I have a 16 year old, you know, my son is 16. I can't even imagine. And what a horrible mistake he made. So he ruined his own life. He ruined his parent, his family's life. And, yeah, and, and obviously the victim's it. life, you know, and, yeah. and his family. So it's just really, really, really horrible. One of the things that I found interesting about this case was, um, so the guy that was with him was a guy that was, his name was Richard. I guess I'm saying it right. I don't know. Goglin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just my guess. Yeah, but anyway, great. he was the one that you were talking about. He was 17. They they had just met not too long before that. He was from Arizona. And so one of the things that he did when this all happened was he called a friend in Arizona because that's where he was from. And he told him about the killing. Well, the friend told his father, who just happened to be a highway patrolman in Arizona, who then immediately called the Dallas police and Greg Knighton's father got the message that this had happened. Oh, yes. So that, was, that was super crazy. So they, they went to, they went and arrested Richard at his house instantly. They found Greg Knighton um, at a, um, um, oh my gosh, I told you, you know how it is, like when I try to pinpoint a word, I can't think of it, a hayride. He was on a hayride with his girlfriend. They oh. caught him there and they arrested them both. And so that's how they both got arrested. Well, in the beginning, Richard Goglin was going to, basically say i'm going to tell you everything they were going to give him a better deal so he was going to get 50 years because they in in the beginning they thought it was going to be like life sentence yeah but greg Knight's case ended up getting completely done before this happened and they gave him 45 years so they ended up giving richard goglin 45 years as well mm-hmm. so their release date would be october 24th because uh, it happened october 23rd of 2032 well, when we were talking about doing this case, I started researching it like I always do. And you know how both of us are. We're just like reading and reading articles and stuff. And so anyway, I started reading up on it. And this is the craziest thing ever. But Greg Knighton has been released. He's on parole. He's been released from prison. Yeah, that was so crazy when you told me that. Um, I, 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 that blows my mind. It blows I mean, my mind, too, because there was articles about him being denied parole over the years. I have There was not mm-hmm. one peep about him being released. Amazing. Yeah, and I've looked, too, and I couldn't find it. The cra- And another crazy part that we forgot to tell everybody is that um, Greg Knighton, after he shot uh, George in the back of the head, he um, told Richard Goglin, he said, get his wallet. So he grabs his wallet and there's $18 in it. Well, he splits it. They split it three ways. The three, the third person that they, they split it with is a guy by the name of Jonathan Job. He was the one that picked him up because what they did was they rode out there in um, George's truck. I guess it's his dad, red Chevy. I think it was. And he said, we're going to, you know, take off walk and we need you to pick us up. So he picked them up. So they split the money three ways. So they all got six bucks. I mean, my mind is just blown over this. I mean, you know, kids, I mean, we get teenagers are dumb, but I mean, seriously. Yeah. I mean, it, that's just so horrible. So Richard Goglin is actually still in prison. Um, he's been denied parole every single time. And I think one of the reasons that he's still in prison, and I could be wrong, it's just my thinking, is that they had talked about him being part of a satanic um, 
group or he was like a Satan worshiper. And he has a lot of satanic tattoos all over him. He has a huge one on his neck. He has them all down his arms. And I'm not just talking about tattoos in general. And I'm not saying that people need to judge people for tattoos. So if anybody's listening, please don't take it that way. That's not what I'm saying. I just feel like that that's probably what has kept him in prison. Yeah, that's you know, pretty, because he has a real, yeah, he might. And you never know. Greg Knighton might have been a model prisoner, whereas this yeah. guy might have been acting up and, you know, acting kind of. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just another really sad story out of Ellis County, Middle Othian, 1987. It's not the last murder that happened before Missy's murder, but it was one of the, the bigger cases that happened. Yeah, that's that, their last you know, they, that's their last high profile murder. Um, you know, that really got a lot of publicity, even though there was some in between, um, but just not many, thank goodness for the city of Midlothian. It's a very normally just a really safe place. And most, and so far it just seems like the murders have been targeted. There's not random, you know, it doesn't seem like anything's been random, at least not that I'm aware of. Oh, and I want to tell, I want to tell before we get off of the subject of, um, that old Midlothian murder case that we're discussing, um, you know, the October 25th, 1987 um, article we found in archives, I believe Tim's the one that had been Googling Bobby Henry's um, name and Midlothian and found this. And Bobby Henry um, is, he is the, actually the only person that really has had an extensive search warrant um, served on um, him in the Missy Beavers case. Okay, so think about that decades later. But he is quoted in this 1987 article about the um, undercover cop being killed by Greg Knight. And it's insane. But it says um, in here, it says, uh, so basically Bobby Henry is quoted as saying, Um, He was real young. He hadn't learned all there was to know about police work, said Officer Bobby Henry of Wilmer. So that was back before he was with Lancaster PD. He was with Wilmer PD. It says where Raffield had formerly worked as a police officer. So basically it was just, it was just, you know, just an odd coincidence that he was quoted in this article. Um, And then all these years later, his name, isn't that crazy? And then all these years later, he comes up, his name, comes up in the missy beavers case not as a police officer but as a potential suspect so that's really interesting um so anyway i i guess that's all we were going to say about this case just a real huge just a tremendous tragedy i know that greg's mother passed away recently um before his he got released and his dad had passed away a few years ago i know that's horrible and i just feel for that family this tore that family to pieces you know his bad choice Yeah, that's 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 just a, a unfortunate um, event. I mean, you know, his basically all his, you know, childhood when he should have been having fun, graduating high school, you know, things like that was all spent in prison. That's so sad. Really, really awful. So, so that's going to be our special cases that we're going to cover that are not the Missy Beavers case because we we figured we would do some ever so often, but we figured we'd do those together because they're both Ellis County and. Um, you know, we didn't figure it would take us that long to do it. And they, like I said, one of them turned out to be, she, she got not guilty and the other one has been solved. So, it, you know, it's not a whole lot to talk about it. Talk yeah. about the uh, cases. And we will try to do that. What, what did we say, Renee? Once a month, we'll pop in another case. Yeah. Okay. That sounds yeah. good to me. 
if y'all have any um, thoughts, our listeners have any um, ideas on a case that they would like us to cover on our next one, please give us a shout. Send us an email. Our email is truecrimebroads at yahoo.com. Or you can send us a Facebook message or Instagram. So that way we can look over it and give us some ideas of some interesting cases. And we will we will talk about it. Sounds really good. And we, um, will, we will definitely return to our coverage of the Missy Beavers case on our next podcast. We will only do another case once a month. So we will be right back to Missy next time. And if anyone has any ideas of anything they would like for us to research or cover, please don't hesitate to contact us on social media. We're true crime broads on Facebook, true crime broads on Instagram. Oh, and now you just set us up a Twitter. So we're also on Twitter now as true crime broads. So please either drop us an email or a private message or comment on a picture on one of our social medias. And we will be more than happy to accommodate anything we can. Right. We still have some time. Is there anything about the Missy Beavers case that you want to talk about real quick? You know, um, it's just a baffling case. And I guess that's why we're able to have episode after episode about the same case, because it has, we're almost, you know, look at how close we are to the four year anniversary. I mean, it's just around the corner and the police have not released any updates to the public. There's just nothing. They've never clarified You know, I've had people say to us, and you know what I'm talking about. People have said, well, MPD doesn't owe the public anything. Well, I disagree. They asked us to look for this uh, Nissan Altima that's either white or silver. And are we still supposed to be looking for that? Is there not any updates on that? Um, And also, um, I mean, there's a homicidal maniac on the loose in Ellis County. More than likely. I mean, I doubt it was a drifter. There's always that possibility. But I would be willing to bet that person lives locally. And I don't feel like people are safe. So I think those are two good reasons why I think the people of Ellis County deserve an update on this case. I totally agree. I mean, that you you know, me and you have both talked to lots of people um, that have said that they're afraid at night. They can't even take out their trash by themselves because they're, you know, nervous yeah. and worried. Yeah. And I mean, you know, they, they say that they feel like this is an isolated incident. Well, you have to have some kind of idea who it is. If you're saying it's an isolated incident, I think you just don't want everybody to be nervous. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I agree with that because, um, yes, it's an isolated incident in that there's not a very similar case to that going on right now in Ellis County. But I have a feeling this person's done this type of thing before, maybe not murder, maybe attacked people. I don't know, but it does. I don't really feel like this is happening in a vacuum it because and another reason why I don't think that is I do believe Missy was targeted, but I don't think it was by someone close to her, which scares me because um, I think it's someone who knew her, maybe someone from the periphery of her life, but I don't feel like it was someone super close to her. Um, that's just my opinion because I feel like they would have been caught by now if they have thoroughly checked out everyone in her circle. They've said it's no one close to her. So um, how can they be so sure that it's isolated? Because that just by definition, that's not isolated. If it was someone who, you know, was targeted, but it sounds like this person might get upset with someone else and target them for whatever reason, you know, this is such a senseless crime that I am not satisfied with, oh, well, it was targeted. So everyone else is safe. Really? I mean, this person is obviously nuts and um, has no conscience because another thing is they have slipped back into their lives 
without anyone suspecting anything. No one has come forward and said, oh my gosh, my uncle came in and was crying and acting all crazy for three days and he lost a lot of weight. I mean, you know, sometimes people people close to someone will figure out that they committed a murder just because they start acting really weird afterwards. Um, yeah. This person you know, has just slipped back into life and no one suspects a thing. You know, one of the things that, that I know that they, they've asked people to, you know, if you know something, please tell, but I can imagine, I don't know anything that, that I need to tell the police about, but if I tried to think in my head, okay, so I know something, or I think I might know something, I think I would be hesitant to tell people too, to tell the police too. So I understand that. Of course, they, they have ways for you to tell anonymously, but I, I, I guess I should say, but I, I understand their hesitancy. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, I do too. And especially, especially if it's a loved one, the last thing you want to do is think it's your son, your brother, your uncle, your husband. And right. I would think you would kind of go into denial at that point. And you just don't want to know almost. Um, I just can't even imagine. So it just seems really strange to me though, that, I mean, MPD states, when they do finally give statements, they stay, they say stuff like, we don't even know if it's a man or a woman. I just yeah. don't understand how can they be that lost at this point especially, in time. Especially, I mean, I, I mean, I get that they can't tell, but it's like, I don't know. I'm like See, you. I, it's I, like, I, I, I mean, you know, but on the flip side, Kevin Johnson told us many times in those press releases and, and his little mini interviews he would give for updates. He said there is information we're withholding. It would not be a good um, police decision. It wouldn't be a good investigation if we were sharing everything with the public. So, I mean, I do feel that they have misled us a lot, and that's fine. Do what you need to do to catch the perpetrator. We don't need to know everything. But, um, you know, I kind of think that they're pulling our leg a little bit about not knowing if it's a man or a woman. I think they know. I honestly yeah. think they know who did it. They just can't get the evidence together. I think yeah. this is an, I think it's an elusive perpetrator. Um, I think this person's gotten away with things before. Um, I just, um, I just don't think they can get the evidence that they need. Um, so it's, it, I mean, who knows? I may be totally wrong. It could be someone that this is the one and only um, crime they've ever committed. That happens too. Um, but whatever it is, I just feel like the police, my instinct is that they know who it is. They just can't prove it. I really hope, I actually hope that's it. I would be really concerned if they were as lost as they sound. Because when they say stuff like, we still don't even know if it's a man or a woman, that's, that's just really discouraging. Yeah, I think that they, I think they do that just to make it sound like they, you know what I mean? Like, we don't even know if it's a man or a woman, so y'all need to just chill. You know, yeah. I mean, because I, I remember hearing him say that. I don't remember if it was Kevin Johnson or who it was that said that, but he was like, you know, that the police officers here are half and half on if it's a man or a woman, you know what I mean? Kind of like, I mean, we that can't makes it sound like out. they've done nothing. I know. <laughs> they know nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. So, it's, I really hope that that's just more smoke screen for the public. I really hope so. Does it bother you um, about the different, I don't know why it bothers me. But about the different time frames that they keep, you know, I, I don't understand that. Like if, if something happens and you have records of it, you know, when the 911 call came in, you know, when you know, those things have varied so much. And I don't understand that. Do you have any idea why the times would vary on 
things like when the 911 call came in, whether there was one call or two, what time Missy showed up, what time the camper showed up, you know, that kind of thing. Why yeah, I think, I think, I mean, I think that cops are people too, and they misspeak sometimes if they're not looking at their notes. Um, I also think that the media gets things wrong all the time. And, but you know, when we, when we got our hands on the actual 911 call log um, from the open records request, it only even, they only logged one, one 911 call. And we've heard over and over and over and over from everybody that there was two. Yeah. Yeah. So even the cops said there was two and the people we've talked to witnesses who were there who said the two people called. So yeah, so I don't understand why they only logged one. It really bothers me, though, that, you know, because one of the things that they say is we received two 911 calls, one at 5, 5 o'clock a.m. and 5.01, and then somewhere else on the timeline that the Midlothian Police Department posted and published on their um, site and their Facebook page, it said 5.06. So just things like that just drives me nuts and I just don't understand it. It it makes you, I guess, and I get it, you know, people make mistakes, but there's so many conflicting. Yeah, that's true. And for for people like you and me that are following this case closely. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) For people like us that are, what an idiot, I shouldn't be sitting down. Um, for people who are following this case closely like you and I are, and we're splitting hairs and we're looking at all the details, it really is frustrating. Um, you know, cause we're, we are paying attention to all those details. So. Yeah. I wish I could ask these questions. I wish we could just, you know, ask, you know, they had a, um, I don't remember. I want to say it was Fox four. Um, they actually wanted people to come to Midlothian to discuss the case. And I think we were working out of town and could not go. I wanted to go so bad. I literally almost was like, I'm not going to go work. I want to go do this. (laughs) I didn't do. And I wanted, I wish we could talk to somebody who went just to see, you know, like, I don't know what it was like, what they just, what they talked about, things like that. But that would have been something I would have pointed out, you know, because I would be like, hey, this, you know, there's discrepancies and different things can y'all you know check that out but I don't know I don't know how that ever went because I never heard back about it and one of the places that they posted it was a group called Midlothian Talk and you can't post anything in there about that because I've seen other people do it and they 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 turn it off instantly so yeah I wonder what's up with that that's interesting weird but yeah I just I just wondered if that was something that bothered you like it does me it just irritates me I'm like can we can we get like a corrected version and then just be done with that so we know from now on exactly when those things happen but anyway right I just I get irritated no there's been a lot of discrepancies and um you know and and some of it is just the media getting things wrong I think and then Mm -hmm. and then we do our own research it's like okay how much of this is rumor how much is fact yeah Um, yeah you don't know what you're really yeah you know yeah, we really try hard to decipher that and not bring anything forward that's rumor. And if we do mention something on our podcast that's not confirmed, we will we will say this is either speculation or something mm-hmm. we heard, you know, heard from someone who heard it from someone. So mm-hmm. big time. We really mm-hmm. try to stay factual. <laughs> but you know what? We, we were just talking about this last night. 
we don't know that much about this case. (laughs) And we have been digging for four years. It's not, there's, MPD has done a remarkable job of keeping a lot of things secret because number one, they have not released the cause of death. If you think about that, that is the most basic thing in a murder case. They haven't told us, was she shot? Was she stabbed? Was it both? Um, We don't know what the murder weapon was. Was it a screwdriver, like the rumors say? Was it the hammer that you can kind of see the perpetrator carrying? Did he have a handgun on him? There's some speculation each way about that. Was it Missy's gun that was found at the site? We don't know. I mean, there's just really not that much information. And I get it. We don't have to know. But it just seems like after four years, if there's no arrest, I mean... Yeah, we. I remember when I they had this on the TV constantly, and every time it was coming on, people would say, "Hey, it's going to be on the news at six or whatever." And we would all do everything we could to get to the TV, turn it on, and it would just be a repeat of nothing. And we're like, "Are you kidding me?" Oh, just you know what? was arrested. And you know what? That's about to happen again. They're going to do it for the yep. four-year anniversary, and we're all going to be like, "It's going to be on. It's going to be on." And there's not going to be yep. any news. Yeah, we're going to be throwing we'll something. Finally, learn. Serious. <laughs> I know. I just I wish that someone would actually put some time into this, find out some information because you know it doesn't. You know, it's it's a it's a small town still considered. It's not that big. I mean, it's not even as big as Waxahachie, and Waxahachie's only got like I don't know sixty is it sixty thousand or thirty thousand. I'm not sure. I think it's thirty thousand. I was making it really big. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, and, you know, you just don't think that, I don't know, I just feel like they put more effort into it, you know, because they, all the articles that we see, you know, are just haphazard, you know, it's just crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, I just can't understand why, the, and I've ranted about this before, so I'm sorry, I'm going to rant a little bit about it again, but why the heck hasn't the media bothered? I mean, there have been a few, but the vast majority of the media personalities or the media outlets that are covering this don't even bother to do any digging. They haven't yeah. looked at for search warrants. Um, I mean, MPD never even reported on the December 2016 search warrant. Um, we all found that. Um, you know, Tim found it initially. I mean, just why don't these news programs... Um, when they cover the case, why aren't they digging? There was talking to people. There was one news station that requested documents, and I don't remember who it was. I, I think it was Channel Eleven. Um, the it was um, it was one of the uh, reporters, and actually, it was two reporters. Both of them tried to get the documents, but the thing is, is they didn't get them, and then they just gave up. That was the end of it. That's the only yeah. that, that we know of because they actually, the documents were there where they tried to request it and the tech, the uh, Texas attorney general, you know, said, no, you can't have them. And that was the end of it. But, you know, you don't and, keep, you don't just give and, up. <laughs> and where are the actual investigative journalists? Um, yeah. After this length of time, even if MPD says, go away, I can't tell you anything. It'll hurt the case. I'm sorry. But after three years, now it's almost four. Mm-hmm. I would say, I'm sorry, that doesn't work anymore. I'm here to ask questions. And if you don't, mm-hmm. if you don't, if the police isn't going to make a statement or answer the questions, then we're going to do some digging and we'll come up with these answers ourselves. Which is it going to be? I mean, exactly. I don't understand why. Where is that aggressive investigative journalist? Where is that person? Do we have anyone like that in the Dallas area that would be interested 
in this case? I hope we do because I'm ready. I mean, there have been a lot of um, people that have come out of the woodworks trying to, you know, solve unsolved murders. Um, But as far as journalists, I haven't, you know, if they're there, we don't know about it. Yeah, it just seems like it's the journalists that keep our government honest, that keep them answering questions. And I don't distrust the police. I'm not one of these people that think that MPD is involved in any way. I do not. I don't think that they're hiding anything that they're that to be sinister. I think the only reason they're hiding anything is to preserve the case. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But at the same time, after four years, they owe everyone an explanation at this point. Um, there should have been an arrest by now. Um, there's not. There needs to be an explanation as to why. And they need to bring in some outside help because this clearly isn't working. That is um, the truth. They, they've had, they had several opportunities and there's so many organizations that they can call on that will help. I mean, oh my gosh. They're, they're, when you look it up, there's a list of them. And it's like, so they have so many options. I mean, the Texas Rangers would still be willing to help, but they decided they didn't want their help. And I don't know who else, you know, offered and they didn't take it. But I think they thought they knew, they thought they were going to, you know, solve it. And that didn't happen. So they didn't. Well, and, and, I, and I wish they would have just turned the case over to the Attorney General's office at the beginning. Not because Midlothian PD is incompetent. I'm not saying that. They just don't have enough homicide experience. To, and this is not a simple case, obviously. This is a complicated case. Right. And. It just seems like they would have known, oh, I need to turn this over to the attorney general's office, and then it would be the Texas Rangers case. But I don't know if there's it's an ego issue or I don't know what. But um, unfortunately, here we are four years later still talking about it, and no one seems to know anything. And people don't feel safe. I agree with you. I've talked to people, too. I have no friends from high school who live down there, and they just say, we're afraid. I mean, we have no idea what we're even supposed to be looking for here. Right. So it's really scary. Well, we're hoping for some, some good news. I mean, I don't think that it's just going to pop up on the anniversary, but anyway, we're, we're hoping for something, maybe, maybe just a new plan, a new plan of action. That would be good. You know? Yeah. And, um, I don't know. Um, I wish I could get a really, um, a really, really good private investigator to come on board. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't understand what's going on. I know that they must be really struggling to find information that rises to the legal definition of evidence that they need to get a conviction. Um, Because I know it's not going to do anyone any good if they have another outcome like the Sandra Garner case. Um, Because then that person goes scot-free. So I understand they're under a lot of pressure. This I get the feeling this is not your typical... um, disgruntled um, ex-lover or something. I think they're dealing with something a lot more complicated. And I'm just afraid that MPD might be in over their heads, not because I think they're incompetent at all. I want to always make that clear. I don't mean to insult them in any way. I just feel like it's just a lack of experience. The exact same thing that made them say on day one, we are not equipped to process this crime scene. We're going to call Ellis County Sheriff's Department. That same thing I feel like should have made them turn it over to the attorney general's office and then they could assist on the case. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid that with the FBI and with the Texas Rangers assisting on, even if the Texas Rangers came back on board, they would be assisting. It wouldn't be their case. There's a big difference between assisting and leading a case. 
I would much rather see the Texas Rangers leading this case. Exactly. But what do I know? You know, I'm just hoping that this thing gets solved. And it just, it's just really discouraging. When we were all first getting into this case almost four years ago, I never dreamed it would go on this long. Did you? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think any of us did. No, I, I mean, I just kept thinking, like, like I said before, we're going to turn on the TV and they're going to say so-and-so was arrested or whatever, where we're going to be scrambling trying yeah. to figure out who that was, or, or if we already knew, you know, had heard of them and that didn't happen. And then it finally we were like, holy cow, this thing is not going to get solved, <laughs> you know? I mean, no, it's so sad. And I'm starting to wonder, and I don't want to be negative and I don't want to discourage our listeners, but there's been times lately where I think, I don't know if this will ever get solved. I mean, and by solved, I mean, I kind of feel like it has been solved, but by solved, I mean, arrest and trial. Um, So all we can do is hope and pray. Yep, that's exactly what we we have to do, and hope somebody will come forward with information because that's one of the that's what they need. They said that they feel like that that's going to be what solves this case if somebody comes forward and talks. Yeah, and I just I'm very fearful that this person knows what they're doing and they're not going to tell anyone. So how on earth is anyone going to come forward unless it's someone who just makes an observation and something doesn't look right? And I don't know if that would be enough to convict. That's why I'm discouraged about. It could be anything, though. It could be, you know, they their alibi wasn't true or they weren't home like they normally are. I mean, it could be anything to get, you know. No, that's exactly right. You're right. I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah, that's true, because I really don't think this perpetrator is going to have a couple of beers and spill their guts, you know. Right, right. And Um, and, and like happens so often. Do we know if there's still a reward? I mean, I know there was. I think it was up to 50,000. You know what? I'm assuming there is. Um, I read something, I think it was like a 2018 article maybe that said it was still in effect. So I don't know. Um, But I I sure wished that would have um, shaken some information out of someone. But apparently, I I just really fear that no one, honestly, no one knows anything. I feel like this person um, has kept this murder completely to themselves, knowing full well that the more people know, the more likely you are to get busted. I mean, the more people that know about the crime the chances of you getting arrested go up exponentially with each person that knows so I I think that this person's smart enough to know that and they've kept it completely to themselves and that's why I get discouraged I mean I think that four years eight years 12 years I just don't know if anything will break and I know I sound really negative but I just don't know I mean I get this horrible feeling that that's what we're dealing with here. Um, I mean, in four years, not one piece of information has come out that could arrest this person. That's really frustrating. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's got us sometimes where we don't even know. I, I don't know. I, I guess we just kind of get to a loss for words because we don't even understand, you know, what's going on. And yeah, it just, it just seems like a very sophisticated perpetrator. Um, and I think that they just knew that MPD would struggle with this or they were just arrogant. I really don't, the whole thing is really baffling. Just the, how bold is that to go to a church and murder someone in cold blood dressed up in that outfit in the middle of the night in a rainstorm? Um, it's all just, it's just the stuff that horror movies are made of or nightmares oh yeah i mean and and, to think that that person is still out there we don't necessarily agree on our different on all of our thoughts on this case 
Um, and we, of course, do agree that, you know, we hope that, that they get, you know, the evidence that they need to prosecute someone at some point for this murder. Because, you know, Missy's family needs justice and there needs to be justice for Missy. But I, I don't think that this person necessarily has to be uh, somebody who, you know, knew exactly what to do. I, I think people get away with murders all the time. It, it could be a matter of luck. It could have been a matter of really good planning. It could be just that there was evidence and it was, you know, not processed correctly. I mean, people did say that the crime scene was completely cleared. And I say people, uh, the police said, and I think it was in an article, that the, pro- that the crime scene was cleared in seven hours. Yeah, that I mean, seems too soon that's way too soon to do something like that you know so so that- no i i i agree with all the above about what you said um it's true i think that luck did play into this obviously um because you know we had the perpetrator seen leaving the scene of the crime he was probably just seconds away from being detected and um you know and um no i agree i think that luck definitely played a role and I hope we get to find out one day who did this to Missy because whoever this person is they clearly are a psychopath whether they're a career psychopath like what I'm leaning toward or if or if what you're leaning toward that it's someone who's probably never done anything like this before but they got away with it and I just think that um whichever the case may be they have completely destroyed um Missy's family I mean exactly it's it's just unbelievable to think that her daughter had to go through graduation without her mother, prom, uh, they'll go through their weddings without their mom, all those milestones, um, not having, they were all so close to Missy and, and, you know, and her husband's left behind and then her mother and her brothers. I mean, none of these people deserve this mm-hmm. and it's just mind boggling. And I think another thing that makes me lean kind of away from it being someone she knows is they really couldn't figure out if Missy had any enemies, there was a rumor that we've heard in the Facebook groups that she had a, an enemy, but I've never really heard that from anywhere all that credible. And, um, I just, I don't know. I just can't make anything fit in my mind that, I mean, it it sounds like law enforcement and her family can't either. No one close to her can figure out who the heck would do this to her. Mm -hmm. I mean, even Renee, you know, Renee Jones actually says that. She goes, we can't figure out who the heck it is. Remember? I mean, there's no one. It's not like you can say, oh, she had a psychotic ex-boyfriend that harassed her. I mean, there's nothing has come up that really makes any sense. You know, the Susan Loper case that happened a few years past, maybe, gosh, it's probably been 10 years now. But that was in Plano, up here by where I live. And Susan, it was a very similar case in that Susan Loper was by herself early in the morning. It was still dark. She was setting up to teach, I believe, a Pilates class, but it was exercise group class that she was setting up to teach at Glen Eagles Country Club on Park, close to um, just west of Preston. I pass it all the time, and I always think of Susan Loper. Um, so anyway, this poor woman was in there setting up. It was about 5 a.m., um, same type of situation. And she gets um, attacked. I believe she was attacked at the scene, but she also gets yanked into the car. I think he killed her there and then pulled her into the car and then dumped her body on the way home. So that's another thing that's different from Missy's case because her body was left there to be found. And this person dumped her body really close to my house, by the way, in Frisco. 
And it was just the freakiest thing. None of us could figure out what the heck was going on. But you know what happened? They interviewed her friends. And almost all of them said, you know, you need to look at this guy. Um, he, they dated a long, long time ago. But every now and then he pops up and gives her a hard time. And they just said, maybe check him out. And sure enough, that's who it ended up being. I can't think of his name right now. But um, he ended up being the perpetrator and he did get convicted and yeah. he's in prison. But yeah, it's a crazy story. But it reminded me of Missy's. And I used to always think if they could just find, because, you know, when they interviewed Susan Loper's friends and family, they all had kind of a problem with this one guy. And we don't have that in Missy's case. Her family and friends, you know, that we've talked to and that the media has interviewed, they just seem baffled. Like, we can't point to any one person. Right. She didn't have enemies, you know? So that's what really stinks about this. And that's kind of what makes me think that she was selected by someone who was a little bit more at a distance. You know, the, um, maybe someone that became obsessed with her. You know, the thing is, is that, you know, like you said, you know, you look at people closest to her and you work your way out. Well, she had a lot right. of people close to her. You know, she was in uh, Thrive or Lavelle. I'm not sure which. I think they have both names. I think one of them is a patch. It's kind of two companies in one. But anyway, Thrive and Lavelle, she was in it, she was involved in that. And then, of course, she was involved in Camp Gladiator, and she was uh, prominent within within the community. I mean, I met her through a job that she did prior to uh, Camp Gladiator, so she was well known. She was on Facebook, yeah, she was on, you know, all of social media, yeah. So th- there's so exactly many people to go through and talk to that you, you know, I mean, my goodness, she right knew so many people. It's just hard to just say, well, we've and and her and and her beings you know, in a position where she promotes herself online, um, you know, and of course there's been all kinds of talk over the years about her posting and all the exercise teachers do that just about as they tell where the classes are and what time. So there's no mystery about where these people are going to be. Right. And then you kind of just think, okay, they'll be there alone for a period of time before that while they set up waiting for people to arrive. So, but also, you know, being that she was sort of prominent and sort of like, you know, this, the people, those exercise people that promote themselves and promote those classes and promote stuff like Lavelle, they get to be sort of like, you know, like local celebrities almost like they're really well known right. on social, you know, when you have that large of a social media presence, you have a lot of followers. Just that's the point, you right. know, is that you're hoping to get followers. And um, I just really feel like someone fixated on her. And, um, it just, um, obviously escalated and turned into a horrible tragedy. Um, but I mean, time will tell, I hope I've been saying time will tell now for four years. So I don't know if it will or not. I hope it does. Um, but I just feel like this is a little more complicated than it looks like at a glance. And, um, it concerns me and, um, I hope that it gets solved, but I really kind of feel like she ran into, um, someone and it, I feel like this person knew her a lot better than she knew them that's just sort of my feeling but anyway we have our theories and I don't even know if we could both be completely wrong it would be interesting to see what happens and the most important thing is this person's brought to justice because I think they're dangerous I mean I don't think that this is their own I don't think that we can just assume oh well it's okay 
you know, they won't do it again. They were just really mad at her. I mean, I don't think that's the case. Well, yeah, I think because somebody's going to end up making somebody mad again. I mean, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and I don't, I'm not even convinced that she made this person mad. I think this person was psycho and was obsessed with her. That's just sort of my theory. And um, their perception is just completely off because they're crazy. I really don't think that Missy did anything wrong. There's been a lot of speculation about affairs and about this and about that. Um, obviously, no one deserves to be murdered. I'll make that clear. I don't mean that at all. But there's just been speculation that perhaps some things that she was doing in her personal life could have brought this on, um, brought on the anger. And mm, I just think that the time for that is up. I think if that was the case, that would have been shaken out by now. Um so anyway, I hope I'm wrong. I hope this thing it is solved tomorrow. Been, um, it may have been uh, shaken and they just can't prove it. <laughs> you know, you never know. I mean. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I really do think they know who it is. I just don't. I think this person's slick and um, has gotten away with things before. And um, I hope that this is different, though. I hope that this perpetrator. I'm sure that our listeners can tell that we, um, and it's one of the things that I think has, has kept us as, um, friends and, um, you know, um, talking together uh, about this case for so long because we, we, we don't agree 100% on it. I mean, for the most part we do, um, but we do have our differences and, and things and I don't, you know, have a specific person that I think did it, but I do have a certain, uh, thoughts about the type of person that it is and and you know things like that and so I think that's one of the things that makes it interesting for me and you to talk about the cases because it's really, I think if we yeah read it would probably well, leave us to not have a lot to talk about you know well and also I think we agree on yeah. so much that um we agree on so much of all this stuff that I think just the very final thing that we disagree on is who we think the perp is. And that's okay. I like that too. I think that's good. I think it keeps it more interesting. Yeah, it I does. agree. Yeah. And it gives us something to talk about because we, and we both said that, of, of course, I don't care if I'm wrong. She doesn't care if she's wrong. We, it's not, we're not in it to be right or wrong. We're in it to discuss it, get ideas and maybe bring, um, you know, the, the case, keep it in the light because there, there's so many cases that, you know, that I come across and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never heard of this case before. And there's somebody behind mm-hmm. the, behind the case that is, you know, hey, listen, hey, listen, hey, listen, hey, listen. And then the case gets brought a little more to light and then people start digging in it or maybe some really awesome investigator goes, you know what, I'm going to take a look at that and I'm going to just start completely over and then the case gets solved. And that's what we're hoping comes from this. Right, right. Right. And, and, if, and also if it could jog anyone's memory, if there's anybody listening in Ellis County that might've heard something that needs to be checked out a little farther, because really, and truly there's no tip that's too small. Um, and that's what law enforcement, I forget which cop was saying it. It might've been Kevin Johnson, somebody or span, someone was saying that they're really hoping that people think that the information they have is just too insignificant to share. But if they would please call and share it, it's probably it could even it could lead to an arrest. They just don't realize. It's keep this in mind, please. Keep this in mind to all our listeners. They do not want your um, thoughts on your neighbor or you know a person 
Yeah, <laughs> that lives yeah. down the street that, you know, you think kind of walks funny or whatever. I mean, they want actual, you know what I'm saying? You, you probably explained it. Just, yeah, they, they want, they want, they're looking they for evidence or yeah. clues. Yeah, they don't want to hear that you think that there's a guy down the street that walks yeah. with a limp. They, um, unless you think it's identical and then maybe they wouldn't want to look at that person, but they're not really also wanting you to speculate. They don't want you to call and say, you know, I think you really need to look at the father-in-law. Okay. They've looked at the (laughs) (laughs) father-in-law. They're on top of all that. Okay. They're wanting, (laughs) yeah, they want new information that they want they're hoping that someone knows something that has someone's noticed something yeah. new like you if know, they don't want to they really don't want yeah if you heard something specific no, that's a good that's a about good the case and they want to know that they don't want to just hear that you you know you think so-and-so did it just like everybody's been saying or you read on facebook or whatever you know they want to actually hear credible, credible information so. right well, yeah, they were saying that they were getting opinions as far away as Australia. Now, you know, nobody in Australia probably has any connection to this case or any of the people involved in it. But they were wanting to, I guess, call and speculate some. And that's, you know, they don't want us to speculate. They don't want our opinions. They just want things that facts, no matter how big or small, that might help lead to the perpetrator. Yeah, they definitely don't want us to call and say, I really think it looks like a woman because yeah. of the way they stand yeah, in front of that door. They have already, they have had. They have done expert analysis on the videos. They really don't want our opinions. That's a good point you made, Renee. I'm yeah, they don't want it. We're not taking a poll. <laughs> Is it a man or a woman? Which we that's do right, that because right. we, we like to hear, you know, how many people think it's a man and how many people think it's a woman. But that's not what they want to do. <laughs> but anyway, so. All right. I think that Good I'm point. glad we got to do a couple different cases. That was interesting. And um, I hope that um, for people that listen to podcasts, I know I listen to podcasts because I travel uh, sometimes and the boring, the drive gets so boring for me. So I'm hoping that this, you know, is, is good for people that are interested in true crime and maybe have, you know, some time to kill or, or, you know, just have it like traveling time where they want to, you know, take up that time and give them something interesting to listen to. We hope that y'all enjoy our podcast. And if y'all think of anything that y'all want to discuss or any questions that you have, uh, we just, we did go over some questions in the beginning of this podcast um, that uh, a, a listener, one of our listeners sent in to us and we answered all these questions to the best of our ability and we'll do the same for y'all. So if y'all send us your questions or let us know what you want to talk about, we'll be happy to do that also. And we just really appreciate you listening. And and um, don't forget to contact Crime Stoppers or Midlothian Police Department if you know anyone that you actually think might be involved and you've got some good information because I know we all want to see this solved. So thanks again for listening. Please tune in next time. We will get right back into digging deep in the Missy Beavers case. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Priceline.